As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And so it all comes down to this. In the animal kingdom, bees and swans. In the fruit bowl, it's tangerines versus apples is Lincoln. And in the staring contest, it's Adams versus Ellison. No, no, sorry. I mean, Flynn. This is the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power, and it's playoff final weekend. Hello, one and all. I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, here with George Ellick. George, I feel like we're always pretty excited, but maybe today more than ever. I am buzzing. (laughs) I am so excited for this weekend's football three games normally you always worry with playoff finals that there could be dour contests with so much at stake not this time we've got some incredible attacking players lining up and I think we are going to be in for a treat the agony and the ecstasy is always the tagline isn't it in fact there's a book of that title all about the EFL playoffs but it's so apt Never more so than this weekend. Do you watch a game? Do you cry tears of joy when you watch the celebrations of a team that has achieved what it's worked 9, 10, 11, 12 months for, but also the deflation uh, of the reality of defeat at Wembley? George, for this playoff final preview podcast, we've enlisted them some help in the form of some big guests. Yeah, we have. Uh, we've been lucky enough to be able to talk to Four people involved in the games uh, this weekend at Swansea. We managed to get a line or two from Steve Cooper and striker Jamal Lowe. You spoke to George Grant of Lincoln. I spoke to Mickey Dimitriou of Newport County. And around all this, we've been previewing all the games as well, looking into what the big storylines could be, who the big players could be, how these games are going to look tactically as well. So much to get through great to get to speak to these guys and you know speaking to them it makes you realize just how much is it uh, is at stake in these games and um yeah i think they're relishing being at wembley in front of fans again too let's not break from tradition let's start in the championship this weekend brentford and swansea city will play for a place in the premier league we're not going to go big on the richest game in football and all that nonsense we want to talk about the football match itself what it might mean for the fans the players and staff involved and we'll be talking to a few key members of this Swansea City setup later on in this segment. But 
just to touch on Paddy Power's odds before the game, because I find them very interesting indeed. Brentford, 17-20 to 20 to win the game in 90 minutes. Swansea, 7-2, to two, and the draw, 23-10. to 10. Now, if you look at the very binary to-be-promoted market, you've got Brentford at 4-11 to 11, and Swansea, 15-8. to 8. George, Brentford are the strongest favourites across all three games this weekend. Can you see why? Do you think that is a very strong, sturdy favourite? two different answers for those two questions I think Ali I I definitely think they are I can see why they are heavy favourites and I think anybody who thinks that that Brentford aren't the likely team to win this I'd like to hear their reasoning because they've been incredibly strong for a long time in this campaign they're kind of a perfect playoff team as well because they're a side who even towards the back end of the season when there was some talk of of them not playing particularly well they went on a run I think of uh, seven games with just one victory but they didn't lose any of those games. They're a team who are very, very hard to beat. And going into a 90-minute playoff, which could go into extra time, being a side who, even when playing poorly, don't concede many goals, uh, is a strong position to be in. And I think that over the course of the season, they've proven themselves to be a better side than Swansea. So yes, I do think they are the rightful favourites. Are they solid favourites? Well, I mean, this is the championship and these are the playoffs. So I think anybody... Um, making too strong of you there is is maybe a bit naive when it comes to this stuff because it is a one-off game. The pressure is unlike anything else that these teams ever play in. One thing I will say on that note is I, I do think that Brentford's experience of coming to Wembley last season and being beaten 2-1 by, by Fulham, um, that 2-1 probably flattering them with a very late goal, having been 2-0 down, will put them in a better position here. I think there is... Reason there's a reason why teams who lose at Wembley uh, often come back and put it right the, season, the next season after. I think the, the occasion itself maybe isn't quite as daunting. I think the the hurt um, that players feel on, after a game of that magnitude is something they probably don't want to feel again. So having that extra yard in your legs, pressing that little bit more late on, understanding that you know maybe not being quite as nervous when you're first getting on the ball should all put them in a better position. Now. now it's not necessarily like Brentford come into this game in, in kind of a perfect position. I think normally going into a playoff match, a manager would like to be pretty assured of who your best team is and what formation you're going to play. And I, and I don't think you can really say with much confidence either of those two things. I think we're probably likely to see a, a similar setup to what we saw in the second leg against uh, against Bournemouth with Mbomo kind of playing off Tony. But then you've got to add the fact that Marcus Force came off the bench and scored the goal in the 82nd minute that, that properly sent them through to Wembley. So it'd be very harsh on him to drop him. Um, you've got whether or not Rico Henry is now fully fit and so therefore could replace Sergio Canos at left back, uh, left wing back. Um, is Nordgaard fit? And if he is, does that mean that Roslev comes out of the side again? Um, Marcondes came in for Fosu, both of those two players looking to play that attacking midfield role. There are so many different permutations to how this Brentford side could look. And it's going to come down to who Thomas Frank trusts. So, you know, I, I think for me, he's a manager who I think will, I have more faith in him to get it right than some others. But coming into this game, I think he would rather have a more settled team than what he's got. When you also add, add in the fact that they lost the first leg against mm. Bournemouth pretty fairly. I mean, Mboma did miss that huge chance in the second half, but it wasn't as if they were unlucky. And then they did go 1-0 down to one of the weirdest goals you're going to see. Uh, after five minutes of the second leg where they sent 11 men forward or 10 men forward for a corner. So they're not bulletproof by any stretch. And I think the odds to qualify suggest that they are. 
Um, what I will say is I think this will be a pretty low scoring game. I, I can see either of these sides who gets ahead are pretty good at sitting on their leads and it's going to be a case of you know, these games are often cagey. I think this will be no different. It's a case of who can grab the initiative and get that first goal. Well, Brentford and Bournemouth was such a tight semi-final. That was going to be clear. Well, that was clear well before the match started and, and the way that it played out with Brentford at 2-1 down, the point where Chris Meppham was sent off in that second leg has to be seen as the crucial moment uh, in the tie and the moment that swung the balance in Brentford's favour. In 11 versus 11, you know, they, they hadn't necessarily, uh, well, they clearly weren't cruising it. And so it'd be wrong to, to look at the semi-final and think that that was easy for Brentford. And almost their opposition, Swansea, while it is never an easy game against Barnsley, they will certainly look back and consider their two performances in the semi-finals to be, you know, about as good as it gets, really, especially in the face of so much doubt around whether they were a good enough team to to be uh, gracing the EFL or the Championship playoffs. I mean, there's no doubt about that now with Swansea, and and to go one further with Swansea and playoffs, they could be the perfect team to play in the playoffs because their manager Steve Cooper. And Thomas Frank, don't get me wrong, is known as a, a keen tactician. He's, he's certainly not shy of setting up certain game plans to react to the strengths of an opposition. But in general, it's you know Brentford looking to impose themselves, not worrying too much about what the opposition are going to be doing. And Steve Cooper, I would say, takes a slightly different approach. It's not to say that he tinkers and tweaks with the general game plan too often, but where he does get a lot of credit in individual games this season, and certainly in those playoff semi-finals, uh, again, in the face of, of people thinking that Barnsley were going to blitz them, were going to outrun them, outmuscle them, win all the aerial duels, it's his game plans that more often than not have turned big games, tight games in Swansea's favour. So it's just a really interesting one for me in terms of Brentford being a strong favourite. I understand why that is the case. They were clearly the better side over 46 games in the regular season. At their best, Brentford should be beating Swansea. But Swansea are a team that make it very difficult for teams to reach their top performance level. Um, and I just find it so difficult to to call here. And And you know what? I just really rate Steve Cooper at, at the moment. Um, we certainly felt that the performance levels towards the end of the season were fairly alarming. Um, but he'd proven himself time and time again and did so in the semi-finals that he's the man uh, to set up this Swansea side to get the absolute most out of them when they need to in big games. And so when we had the chance to chat to him earlier uh, as part of the pre-playoff final press conference, we couldn't turn that down. Here's what Steve Cooper had to say. I think you have to get the balance right between you know understanding the context around the game and what's at stake and the magnitude of it because there's no point in in, in ignoring that because there's it's different, isn't it? You know, it's so, so much so much to play for. Um, but then at the same time, on, on the other side of the balance, it is a game, and you, and you still have to sort of stick to your way of working and stick to the plan and um, and give consistent messages and consistent behaviours so that. Um, so that the players feel as comfortable and as clear clear as they can in terms of going into the game. But uh, but you've got to get it right against them. You know they they are a, a, an excellent team with some really well, a lot of really good good players. So so we know that and and we thought the same when we played them in the league as so many other good teams that we've come up against. But as always, you know we've got to think about how we win and how we approach it and and how you know we we become the best version of ourselves because. Um, 
in the end, that that is what comes first. Is about like what we bring to the to the table and what we bring to the match. So um, for sure, a really tough game as it always is against Brentford, but but one that we're really focused on and looking forward to. Both sides heading into this final switch their basic shape, tactical strategy, if you will, in in the latter part of the season. Um, mm. Every every formation and plan has its pros and cons. What did you see? as the benefits of switching from that 3-5-2 system um, to taking a, a defender out of that back line and adding one to the front line in the last few mm -hmm. weeks? Why did you feel that was necessary? Great to be asked a tactical question. Um, I think that, um, you know, we, we have shown this year that we, we're, we're flexible in, okay, we might look like we're playing a certain shape, but there's always from one game to the next and, and in-game as well, there's certain hotspots on the pitch that you need to, to really highlight with it, with and without the ball, and um, we we just felt that you know we weren't getting uh, enough good play on the wits, you know, and um, in in the back back three, um, and we just felt we needed a change, and we lost a couple of games, and I think you know we teams were, were I don't say working us out, but we just sort of like felt like it run its course a little bit, and um, and you know we flipped back to a four a four three three of a kind. That we that we've adapted as well while we've played it, you know, it's not too rigid because I don't believe in that, and um, um, and it's gone okay, you know. So, um, so so that's where we are at the moment, and um, of course, you know, formations are important, tactics are important, but but you know, you can never take the decision making away from the players and and the instinct. You know, you want them to go and s smell what they they think is right on the pitch and 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 go and commit to it. So that's that's really where our focus is you know, in terms of formations and, and, and tactics. And after speaking with Steve Cooper, we turned our attention to one of his strikers, Jamal Lowe, joined us. First and foremost, I wanted to ask him what it was like seeing that heroic defensive display from his teammates in the semi-final against Barnsley. That's what we've um, prided ourselves on all year. Um, obviously, we've got a, a great foundation defensively. Obviously, we've got Freddie in goal. He's got the golden glove, do you know what I mean? He has didn't get it for no reason. He's a, he's a top goalie and the defence is, is in midfield are, are top. That's just the truth. I mean, they work so hard to to stop chances being created and whenever someone is able to to cut us open, Freddie's there to make the saves that he does. So I think that's something that we've prided ourselves on all year. Um, the goals we conceded this season have been one of the lowest and... Like you say, Fred with the with the golden glove, like it's just it's just something that that's worked well with us. Being make sure we're strong defensively and and then go from there. A two twenty year old centre backs in Ben Cabango and Mark Gahey getting understandable plaudits after those semi finals, and Mark Gahey as well, earning a lot of love online after his very humble uh, interviews after the game when being named man of the match. He said he didn't think he deserved the man of the match award. Did yeah, you guys give that. him a bit of stick in the dressing room after that? <laughs> Yeah, I see. I see that. I see that the next day when I watched it back. But um, yeah, like I say, those two, both twenty years old, like they're unbelievable. Um, they're both. They're both going to be real. They already are top players, but they're going to be real, real top future of football type of players. Mark Gui, twenty at, at Chelsea, and Cabango here, Wales international, and we've got Joel Latabodier, twenty as well on the bench. Like they're all top players. So the future's bright for, for, for all of them. And I just hope that 
they can stay at Swan Two for as long as possible. As much as Jamal Lowe could have a huge impact on this game in the final third, we also wanted to ask about his journey. Anyone who hasn't got their Jamal Lowe history book open in front of you, it's been quite the decade for him. I was playing in non-league and the money is not the greatest, to put it to put it simply. Um, you just can't. Well, you can at some clubs, but where I was and the stage of my career, I was at, I couldn't make ends meet with it. So I had to get a job like like you do. And um, I knew a player that I've played with before, John Nurse, was starting a coaching company. And I started coaching with him. And from there, it went from football coaching to PE teaching and just delivering all, all PE lessons in a school. So it was just a, a fluid movement, really. I went from from just being a coach to being a, a full-fledged PE teacher. And it definitely helped me in that time. Jamal Lowe of Swansea there ahead of the big game. Saturday, three o'clock kickoff at Wembley. A few fans in attendance. Best of luck to both Brentford and Swansea fans. Will Brentford finally make it into the Premier League or will it be Steve Cooper returning Swansea to the promised land? And up next, we'll be talking about the League One playoff final on Sunday. It's Blackpool versus Lincoln. So it's the Champions League final of manager sideline gestures. Guardiola makes a first move with a classic finger-finger swap-swap. Oh, Tuchel responds with a hopping upside-down V. Oh, and Guardiola surely wins it with some rapid standy-uppy push-ups. Sensational! We're expecting some serious moves on the sidelines of the Champions League final. But if you make one move, make it an absolutely free £5 bet builder on Man City v Chelsea this Saturday. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only must have previously deposited £5 min. Max one free bet per customer. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegumbler.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Ah, We've got such a good game on Sunday in the League One final between Blackpool and Lincoln City. It's one of those where whoever wins promotion to the championship is going to be the culmination of an incredible story for, for different reasons. I mean, just four years ago, last month, Lincoln were winning promotion from the National League into League Two. Blackpool were winning the League Two playoffs, having dropped from the Premier League to League Two in the space of six years. Both of them in exceptional nick as clubs and as football teams right now, and it should be a brilliant occasion. Blackpool are the favourites with Paddy Power, six to five to win the game. The draw eleven to five, and Lincoln twenty-three to ten. Blackpool, of course, favourites to be promoted as well, at four to seven to win their place in the championship and Lincoln at five to four. I'm going to ask George about Blackpool. I want to get the lowdown on how they enter this weekend. And you're pretty well placed to talk about this, George, having watched them dismantle Oxford United 3-0 in the first leg of their semi-final. If you can talk through the trauma, that would be great for the pod. (laughs) Yeah, I'm over it now, mate. It's all about next season. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a Blackpool side who, again, I think a, a very fair favourites. You take out the first six games of the season and they're a top two, top three side. Um, and probably if it wasn't for the fact they had a new manager, Neil Critchley, um, kind of finding his feet a little bit and a, and a pretty much a whole new squad um, that they recruited in the summer, I think they probably would have gone up automatically. And seeing them live in the flesh, you know, that was pretty exciting to see football in the flesh mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, just kind of reaffirmed what we already knew about them. They were 
brutally, brutally clinical in front of goal. So efficient. You know, they're not a team who necessarily create a hatful of chances, but when they do get the ball forward, whether it's Ellis Sims, who I am mightily impressed with, the 20-year-old striker on loan from Everton, whether it's Jerry Yates, whether it's it's even the midfield players who often do swarm the box when they come forward, as we saw in the second leg, um, they are a side who know how to score goals without necessarily being a, a particularly attacking team. Now, defensively, they have been incredibly strong this season. Ballard looks to me to be the you know the, the key player of their defensive line on loan from Arsenal, and he came off injured uh, in the it, just at the uh, half time in the uh, in the Oxford game, the second leg. We don't know if that was a precaution. We don't know if he's going to be fit, but it doesn't really seem to matter. Whoever Blackpool seem to have it playing in their back four, they seem to be very very good at stopping the ball from going in the back of the net. Chris Maxwell. Um, your long lost brother maybe having something to do with that as well. Uh, and there's, you know, the the thing that impressed me the most beyond, you know, Sims, yes, and and the way that Critchie has them set up totally. But in that second leg, you know, going spending four days knowing that you're going into a home tie with your fans there, three nil up, and then conceding after five minutes, that was a big test of their resolve, in my opinion. And for Elliot Hamilton to pick up the ball and drive at goal from the halfway line and score an incredible curling right-footed shot from outside the box into the far right-hand corner. And then two minutes later for Ballard to do this kind of salmon flip back header <laughs> to keep the ball in, in, in play from the corner, which was then put, prodded home by Dougal. Like this, those are two moments of extraordinary quality to turn a game, to turn a massive game and ensure that, that they were going to Wembley. And it's, it's something that we've seen all season from them. So... Yes, I do think that they are the rightful favourites here. I think they're the likely ones to go up. But I don't think that they are, again, I don't think that, like Brentford, I don't think they're bulletproof. You know, Mm. being at that game a couple of weeks ago, or last Tuesday, as an Oxford fan, you always felt like you were in it. It felt like there were a lot of moments where the ball went to dangerous areas and the ball didn't really fall to Oxford. There were a lot of moments where, well, two moments where Mark Sykes got in behind the, the back line and was bearing down on goal. And then obviously three goals scored in the second leg, even though at that stage it was always going to be pretty likely that the gung-ho approach was going to lead to goals. Lincoln under Michael Appleton often have a similar approach. They've got similar attacking quality running through their side. That's what excites me the most about this game is that we've got so much attacking talent. Jerry Yates, Ellis Sims, absolutely Elliot Embleton too. And then on the Lincoln side, as you're going to tell us, we've got some quality, quality players. Mm-hmm. I mentioned in the in the championship section that this is... The playoff finals are often cagey. A look at Blackpool's defensive record might suggest this could be the same, but I really think we're in for a spectacle here with loads of, well, just two managers in Critchie and Appleton who are quite clearly managing well below their level in League One and a lot of players who I think we can probably say the same about as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to do a retrospective on this final, whatever happens in it in five, ten years' time and and look back on the careers that both managers uh, are having at that point and some of these players as well because there's so much to enjoy. This Lincoln side is young and dynamic and technical. They've been excellent all season, haven't they? They had one blip uh, when they suffered from an injury crisis, a COVID shutdown of of the club and the training ground. Uh, and they really fell away from any automatic promotion uh, ideas, but they rallied and they finished strong. And against Sunderland, certainly in the first half, it was hard to begrudge them that win. It, it was probably a tighter game than the 2-0 scoreline suggested. But, uh, you know, in a sport where a lot of people just assume that young teams will be weak-minded and, you know, poor in the big games versus an experienced side in Sunderland with a lot of players who have 
been there and done it in inverted commas you know it was actually Lincoln who took their chances it was them who managed that game well now the first leg of the stadium of light that is where maybe the youth and the a lack of experience played out. You know, they conceded two goals. They they gave up that lead very, very quickly in about 25 minutes. And Michael Appleton said after the game, he, he didn't disagree, put it that way, with the interviewer's suggestion that it's because they're such a young, inexperienced team. And I was quite surprised that he didn't shut that down, to be honest. Maybe he was trying to deflect from a poor game plan or, or the wrong team selection uh, by himself because it was pretty worrying how they crumbled in that first half so it'd be interesting to see if you know to what extent you think young inexperienced you know naivety is a factor on the biggest stage of all I'm not sure if Lincoln I I think that might be a slight disadvantage for Lincoln perhaps now I'm not I I sort of tend to think well I think actually being a a good team and, and executing a game plan is probably more important but there are some people who look at these games almost purely in psychological terms and I just thought it was interesting that Appleton seemed to kind of suggest that yeah we are quite inexperienced and maybe that did cost us in the first half um in the second half they were excellent you know, he made tweaks, he gave them the hairdryer treatment at halftime, they came back uh, and they made sure they won that game. So it was three good halves and one poor half for Lincoln. I, I guess Appleton's pushing the sort of nothing to lose, we're not meant to be here, we're ahead of schedule. He's pushing that narrative quite hard and you can see why, to take pressure off his players. But at the same time, you've got to hope that doesn't lead to any sort of complacency or any sort of, you know, dip in, in seriousness because there's one thing that's for sure, Blackpool will come to play Blackball are an excellent side and Lincoln are going to have to play pretty much the perfect game in order to beat them. And we wanted to find out how they were going to approach it. So we got on the phone with George Grant earlier. Been an absolute talisman for Lincoln City this season. Scoring goals, setting goals up, dictating play from deep. We chatted to him about how Lincoln are feeling ahead of this game. So brilliant to be joined by some of the key players, manager in the case of Steve Cooper earlier, uh, who'll be involved at Wembley this weekend. I'm now joined by George Grant from Lincoln City. Uh, George, first and foremost, what are the emotions like with three days to go before you walk out at Wembley Stadium with your Lincoln teammates? I'm obviously very excited. We've been uh, very relaxed, to be honest with you, in, in training and stuff like that and trying to keep it as normal week as possible. Um, but I'm sure when the focus turns to tomorrow and, and Saturday, the game day before, um, it'll be full focus and everyone will be very excited. What is the schedule like? You played up at the Stadium of Light on Saturday afternoon. It's a long way from home for you guys and a game that must have taken quite a lot out of you as well. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? I'm sure everybody that was a, it was a neutral was... Um, very enjoyable game for them, but um, yeah, high emotions. Obviously, we had the day off the day after, and then and then trained up till yesterday, um, and then had today off just to relax and, and be with the family, and then um, travel down on Saturday. Playoff football is unlike regular season football. I think everyone knows that, but as a player, you must feel it much more intensely than, than we can. What was that first half like up at the Stadium of Light where in front of 10,000 fans at the Stadium of Light and Sunderland just going at your throats, it, it, it felt like wave after wave of Sunderland pressure? Yeah, it was. It was um, It was a tough start. And we actually knew, obviously, going into the game that it was, it was definitely going to be like that. And it was how we dealt with it. And, and in the first half, we just we just didn't deal with it in the right way. We've got, we've got a lot of young players. We've got a young squad. And it's probably one of the biggest games that most of them have been involved in. So it was important to just try and get through it at, at 1-0 and 
then when, when it went to two, we were a bit like, oh, no, that's that's the lead that we had in the first half gone. And it was one of them things where just get into halftime, regroup, get in with a gaffer and just and just talk about it and then go out in the second half and try and get a goal back and, and go and win it, which we did. Well, I mean, what happened at halftime, whatever happened at halftime, will we'll probably go down in Lincoln City folklore because of the way you came out in the second half and immediately looked like a different team and, and basically put the game to bed within about 20 minutes to all intents and purposes. What is Michael Appleton like in those big moments in the dressing room at halftime where ultimately what he says and does can really make or break the game? I think in those moments is probably what shows like how good of a manager he is. I think he knows exactly when to sort of go for you and say, look, this is what needs to happen. And I think sometimes he's really calm. Come, You come in at halftime and you think, oh, we've not been good enough. And sometimes he's really calm and a calm influence on the dressing room. And then it just gives us that belief to go out there and do it. And then sometimes he can go the other way and, and do both things. And I think in those situations, he reads them so well um, and knows the players and know the team. And um, and yeah, he gets, gets the best out of us. I mean, just tell me about the character and the mentality of this team, this squad, because it's the youngest team on average in the EFL, if you look at the average age of, of starting 11s over the course of the season. Now, there's always so much talked about the mentality and psychology of playoffs and playoff finals in particular, that that will be, when people are previewing the game, almost a red flag. You know, they're the young team and, and inexperienced and maybe that could be an issue for them this weekend. What's it like being part of that squad and hearing those sorts of things? I, I can imagine it's kind of tough to hear because you probably back yourselves in any situation. I think that's one thing that you actually get with young players is that just belief in themselves. I think all young players normally go in with no fear at all. Obviously, sometimes that can go the wrong way, but most of the time, young players play off confidence and and actually that can benefit you in big games like that. And they might make a mistake, but they'll want to go and get on the ball again and then make it happen again. So we've got experience in the team in places that we need it in, in Brids and, and people at the back like Walshie and Jacko. So we've got it in the right places and, and hopefully that will benefit us well as well with the young players. I mean, you've worn the armband in, in Liam Bridcutt's absence quite a few times this season. It strikes me that in the space of two or three years, you went from a, a you know talented young Forest player who spent a lot of time on loan and did really, really well, but considered still a young emerging player, to now having actually a pretty senior role for, for Lincoln City. How easy has that been for you to, to move from one to the other? And how much do you enjoy you know, being essentially one of the senior players now in terms of experience? Yeah, I think um, it's one of them things where probably when I was younger, I always had it in me, but probably didn't bring it out enough. Um, I've always been quite a talker on the pitch anyway, but then to have that responsibility off it as well um, has been good for me this year. And I think it's actually brought on my game a lot. Mm. I think I've come on leaps and bounds sort of over the last 18 months to two years. Um, and I think my performances have shown that. And obviously for the gaffer to have trust in me to, to put me in the position where I'm captain when Brids isn't there and put that responsibility on me has obviously helped me as well. It's kind of reflected in your playing role as well in this team. I was looking at your sort of season heat maps on Scout earlier and, you know, the last three seasons, mostly picking the ball up, touching the ball generally high up the pitch, quite often drifting out wide and, and being the one to sort of unlock the defence in the final third. Whereas now, you know, a lot of your touches in your own half, a lot deeper and, and starting the play, having the responsibility to build attacks. Has that been hard for you to adapt to or was that always bubbling away under the surface? 
Um, I think, to be honest with you, when I was younger, I've always been a sentiment field player and I've always been in the middle of the pitch. Um, then when I went on loan to Nuts, we played a straight 4-4-2. Um, the two midfielders were, um, I think, Mickey O'Connor at the time and, and Rob Milson, which were runners, tacklers, do you know what I mean? And, and there was no place for me. And I think I played one game and I was, I was lost in League Two, one of my first games and on loan. So um, I played out wide left. And from that moment, obviously, I scored quite a few on the left. So I ended up that I was playing on the left, then sometimes I'll play number 10. Um, but I've always thought that I'd like to be involved in the game more. And I think the gaffer's seen that um, when he came in, because I was playing on the left, but then the last 30 minutes I might I might play in centre midfield. And, and obviously I've just grown into that role. Obviously when Bridge has not been playing a deeper role, then I've been playing there. And I just feel like I'm more involved and I can, I can help the team as much as possible when I'm when I'm on the ball more. It's another tick in Michael Appleton's box, isn't it? To have the vision to see a player who might have always played or for the last few years in a certain position, but actually almost have the imagination to see what more they could do for the team and then be able to back it up in terms of, I guess, on the training ground and talking to you about what he wants you to do. That feels like a huge skill for a manager to have and, and shouldn't be sort of taken for granted. No, no, not at all. Obviously, I, I obviously said just a minute ago about how, how we manage his situation as well. And I think he's, he's a very good man manager and, tactically as well very switched on so um yeah we're very lucky to have him as a gaffer okay so uh, quickly what can you tell me about this blackpool team and how you guys are going to match up against them you've played them twice this season you beat them twice in fact uh, what's the general conversation around how you're going to set up for this game to to counteract the the qualities that they have well it's something that we're, we'll look at over the next two days um the last two days of training have just literally been obviously a bit of hard work making sure that our fitness levels are right. But look, they've obviously got talented players up the top end of the pitch. Everybody knows that. They've got they've got goals in Yates and Sims. Obviously, that Embleton scored a great goal the other day as well off the wing. The two midfielders are very good footballers as well. So look, there's obviously a reason why they've they finished third and are in the playoff final. But there's a reason why we're there, we're there as well. So um, it's going to be a big game no matter what. And it's, it's in my opinion, it's who can, who can handle it best and I think that's one of the big things in the big games. It's who who can handle it on the day um, and bring what they're what they're about. Um, make sure we impose ourselves on the game. And in the quiet moments this week, in preparation, are you the sort of personality that takes some time to reflect on your journey over the last few years to get to this point where you have a big opportunity to make it essentially back to the championship um, as a former Nottingham Forest player, or are you just fully blinkered on the weekend and and don't really worry about any of that sort of stuff? I'm not. I've not really thought about anything. To be fair, you will now. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. Obviously, it's it's been a good couple of years. But there's just only one focus at the moment, and that's and that's Sunday. And I, I don't think there'll be any focus taken off that for the next few days. Obviously, when the season's ended, whatever happens, I'll, I'll sit down and obviously go through things with. I'm very close to my dad, so we'll go through things that we do every season and just sit down and discuss and and think about how well I've done and and hopefully it's it's in a good moment and, and we're back in the championship. Juicy question to finish. Uh, 93rd minute, nil-nil. Brennan Johnson brought down in the box, penalty to Lincoln City. Uh, George, are you stepping up to take that one? Of course, I will put my name forward. It's whoever the gaffer wants me now. Um, I think, to be fair, I've scored, I've scored like 12 and plus a couple in penalty shoots outs and I've missed three, but I'll always put my name forward to take one. So if the gaffer wants me, I'll put my name forward always. Brilliant. Well, we're looking forward to watching this game, seeing how yourself and Lincoln City do against a very impressive Blackpool side. So thanks for joining us and helping us preview that game. No worries at all. 
George Grant of Lincoln City there. Could he have a big say in who books their place in next season's championship? Next up for us, and finally, it's the League Two playoff final preview. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Right, we finish off in League Two and it's a game that George and I have a great appetite for. Two clubs that we love and respect. One of them in Morecambe, I feel like we've spoken about them more on TFLS ET over the next few months than possibly any other club. Uh, They play against Newport at Wembley on Monday at 3pm. Morecambe are slight underdogs with Paddy Power to win in 90 minutes, 17 to 10. Newport, 8 to 5 and the draw, 2 to 1. Now, if you look at the to be promoted market, who will take their place in League One next season? Well, they simply cannot split them. 5 to 6 Morecambe, 5 to 6 Newport County. And that makes this game very exciting to preview, very exciting to watch. I suppose, George, we'll start with Newport because, as I said, they are the minute favourites in the 90 minutes. What do you make of this game and how Newport head into it? Because I've been so blinded by Morecambe over the last few months. Maybe I've missed the Exiles (laughs) creeping up on the inside. They're playing really well, Ali. They come into this in very good nick indeed. They've lost only two of their last 11 games. One of those was the second leg against Forest Green that they lost in normal time. I mean, I can't even really keep count, but I'm pretty sure they lost it 4-2 in normal time, 4-3 AET, but going through on aggregate. Uh, And the other game they lost was against Cambridge, a side that finished second in the league. Looking at the head-to-heads as well, you know, of course, these two teams have played twice in the league this season and Newport won both of them, 2-1 and 3-1. So yeah, I agree with you. Morecambe have been... After finishing fourth in the league, their own very good run of form um, have been taking most of the headlines, but quietly Newport have been going about their business very well. They've put a mid-season blip um, fully behind them. And I was lucky enough to speak to Newport defender Mickey Dimitriou about everything, about this season so far, about that crazy second leg against Forest Green, the heartbreak uh, of the playoff final two years ago and how they plan to play against the Morecambe side who probably are looking to have about 25% possession. Yeah, really excited to be joined by Newport County defender Mickey Dimitriou ahead of this huge playoff final on Monday. I mean, it's a massive game for both clubs, Mickey, and, and for both Newport and Morecambe going into the season. Certainly aspirations to be here, but maybe not expectations to be here. So what's the mood like in the changing room and at the training ground at the moment? 
yeah, everyone's really looking forward to it. Obviously, like you said, it's a it's a big game for both clubs, and um, made the best team win. I suppose it's uh, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be we've had two tough games against them in the league. So uh, hopefully it'll be a it'll be a good one for the fans to enjoy. We can try and put in the performance that warrants us to be there. Two tough games against them in the league, and I'm pretty sure you won both, didn't you? Yeah, we did. But uh, like I said, it's, they were both hard games, so um, we're not expecting anything different this time round. Look, fingers crossed, it's the same result for us, and then um, we'll be the happy team coming out of Wembley. The the second leg against Forest Green, you know, you came into the tie in a really strong position after winning the first leg two nil. And then not long into the second half, you are 3-0 down in the mm. match and 3-2 down in the tie. What's going through your mind at that stage in the game? Uh, I think I think after the third goal that went in, I think it was, all right, that's fine. I think in the first one, the first goal we thought, well, we knew they were going to come out. They were going to come out as they had to attack us. Obviously, they were 2-0 down in the leg. And then um, 50 seconds later, they scored again. I remember looking at the clock thinking, how long has gone? It was eight minutes. Hmm. I thought, like, all right, fair enough. We're we're in a game here. We knew we were going to be. Didn't think it would be that quick. We thought we may have held them off for a little bit longer during the first half, but um, it was nil nil again. So it was literally we had seventy minutes to win the game, eighty minutes to win the game, and um, and go and go through to the final. And obviously, second half started badly again, conceding that early free kick, and uh, we knew we were in a game. We knew we had to then try and try and score a couple of goals, and that's exactly what we did. The manager made three substitutions. Two of them scored in um, in normal time. And then uh, obviously they've scored again in the 85th minute. And we thought, OK, it's just we never do things easy at Newport. So <laughs> we knew that we were going to be in for a tough battle. They're, they're an excellent team for us, Green. They, they like to play the football like us. We knew that it was going to be tough. And um, thankfully, Nicky Maynard stepped up in the 119th minute. And um, and sealed the win. Well, I say sealed the win. Sealed the win on aggregate and um, <laughs> got us through to the final. You mentioned the substitutions there. I mean, Nicky Maynard, one of them, uh, Joss Labadee, another, and then, of course, Kevin Ellison, who we'll talk about in a second, all making a massive impact. You've had a pretty settled first team over the course of the last 10 or so games. But is there now an, a kind of a feeling in the in the squad, in the side, in training, that there are places up for grabs now? You're not necessarily yeah, sure who's going to be starting. Yeah. We've had that all season. We've had quite a We've had quite a settled sort of... I'd say back three, midfield four, sort of midfield five sort of thing. We've had that and there's always been a few changes up top. So, for but we know that everyone has to perform because our squad depth this year is very, very strong. You look on, obviously, Sunday, we had our captain who's been the mainstay in the team when he's fit playing. He was on the bench. So mm. we knew we knew it was going to be, um, we knew it was going to be tough and the subs have come on and done their job, as the gaffer would say. Everyone knows that you will get given chances when needed, and um, it was those three that were needed at the week uh, at the weekend, and they came out on top. Let's talk about your teammate Kevin Ellison. Then, forty-two years of age, and comes off the bench at three 0 down in the tie and, and losing on aggregate three-two, and swings his left foot at a ball from what all of 25, 30 oh, yards, which yeah, comes yeah, off the side of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he's managed to chip the keeper when the keeper was on his line. When he's hit it, I thought, okay, this could be close, thinking it was going in the top corner. And he's managed to chip the keeper from 25 yards. It was a, oh, look, it was a great strike, but no, he's a very good professional. Look, he's still going at 42 years old, but he feels like he's 22. He looks like he's 22. His body is in very, very good shape for a 42-year-old. And look, if everyone looks up to him because he's a role model at the end of the day, you, you don't get to 
what he's done in his career and still going if he doesn't take it seriously. He's played over 300 games for Morecambe. Um, and exactly. fair to say, and then fair to say that his his relationship with, with Derek Adams, the Morecambe manager, may not be uh, at its best. Is is there any chat about that in, in the behind the scenes, or is it a case of just uh, focusing on the game? I think I think it's just focusing on the game. Obviously, every everyone knows Kev is a legend at Morecambe. He was there for nine years, like you said, played three hundred games, and it was a shame. Even from the outside, it was a shame how his career career ended at Morecambe. Obviously, they didn't see eye to eye. That happens in football, unfortunately. And um, he left. He's kind of, and thankfully, their losses are gain at the end of the day. He's come on and done a few. He's come down here and played very well when he when he's needed. And um, and that was another another example. And that on Sunday, he's come on, scored, scored the um, two fair at the time. It was to get us back level on aggregate. So um, and now it's about we're going to be ready for for Monday and Morecambe. It's not. Like he said before, it's not me v Morecambe, it's not me v Derek Adams, it's Newport versus Morecambe. If he can come on and have the same um, same effect that he has been doing throughout the season, then brilliant. And then we can say it's you've gone on and done a job that you wanted to do and everyone was buzzing for him, especially the last time, the first game we played against them, when he did come on and score up at their place. You saw the... Everyone's seen the celebration that he did when he came on and when he came on and scored, but you saw the togetherness from us because we all know that he went through a hard time there, and it's a team game at the end of the day, and he's just one player in that team. Go back a couple of years, uh, and you've been here before with Newport against Tranmere uh, in the playoff final. Again, it went all the way till the 119th minute before the first goal was scored uh, for Tranmere by um, it was Jennings, wasn't it? Oh, Jennings, Jennings. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, t- teams who have that record of, of losing Wembley and then coming back um, to put it right have a pretty good record. And not only was Michael Flynn um, the manager that day, you were in the starting lineup, played all 120 minutes. Uh, Josh Labadee yeah. was as well. Josh Sheehan was there. Matty Dolan was there. A lot of the same group of players. Yeah, a lot of our squad was there. So hopefully we can use that experience. Obviously, Benno was there as well. Mm. Um, we can use that experience, that hurt that we felt because it did take a long time to get over it in the manner that we lost. I think if we had lost in just normal time and they, they'd scored in the 70th minute and we couldn't get back into the game after with those last 20 minutes, then it was like, OK, that's fair enough. We tried our best. But to concede in the 119th minute where we had no chance to even get a corner, get a throw-in that we can put in the box, get a free kick that we can put in the box to try and get an equaliser, I think that hurt more. So, um, look, fingers crossed we haven't got to go that do it like like that again on Monday but if we have to hopefully this time we'll be on the right end of the result but the experience that from the core of the squad and look there's a lot of experienced lads that have come into the team as well since then hopefully we can all sort of pull on our all our experiences from either playing in big games playing in playoff games playing at Wembley we can try and pull that to, to use that to our advantage. Is, is there anything you'll do specifically and actively to build to use that experience in order to change your preparation for, for Monday's game? No, I don't think we're going to change. Look, we haven't changed all season, so I think we'll prepare exactly the same way. We'll go down the night before. We'll um, we'll stay just just outside Wembley, I think it is, just outside the stadium, and then um, look, it's, it's game time. Come Monday morning, it's, everyone's going to be concentrating on the game. We'll do what we normally do: have our team meetings, get over to the ground nice and early. And just prepare properly. I think there's. I don't think you can change it because what happens if it goes wrong? And then they'll be mm. thinking, "Well, it's because we've changed. We've changed our approach." 
But um, no, you just got to, it's like one other game. It's just a, it's just a big one. Finally, um, fair to say, it could be a bit of a clash of styles between Newport and Morecambe. Morecambe aside, who often win games with about twenty five percent possession. We saw, you know, this this new style at Newport, especially at the beginning of the season when the pitches were a bit better employed with you know trying to keep it using you know yourself in the back three to keep the ball um and make pitch basically as big as possible how do you set up an approach against a side who you know are going to be very happy to not be in control of, of the ball I think I think we can't really worry about them that much um because we need to make sure that we're on our game if we're on our game then that's all we can do we need to then we can try and play to the best of our standard that we know we can do and then um, we'll wait and see how they come out. Obviously, they're we've played them twice before, so we know what they what they're about. And um, but who knows? They we don't know what team they're going to play. They don't know what team we're going to play. So we're going to until what ninety minutes before the kickoff, we have to just imagine, we have to just try and prepare as best as possible until we know their team and we can see what formation they're going to try and play, what players they're playing, and look if they do try and win the game with 25% of football, then look, if they win the game, they deserve it, I suppose. It's whoever whoever wins that game will, will deserve to win it, and regardless of what style they play. Look, it's, they can also, they've got good players in that team. They can also play football. You, I, read, I heard when I watched the second leg, people are saying they kick it long. It's, it's not kicking it long. It's playing to their strengths. If they've got a forward that holds the ball up well, they've got players run, they run off him. That's their strength. We we did that for a couple of years, but we all we can play both ways. So if we have to go that way and use to our forwards, then we will do. If that's the best way to win the game, everyone in the in this league can mix it up. And it's just at the moment we're um, we're playing out from the back, but we've also gone through the season where we couldn't play out from the back because the pitches were bad, and we've sort of missed out the midfielders and gone straight to the forwards. So. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see. It'll be an interesting game. It'll certainly be a good battle and uh, fingers crossed the result will go our way. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. I'm sure you're looking forward to getting out on the Wembley turf as well, Mickey. Thank you very much for taking yeah, the definitely. time to speak to us no today. No problem, my pleasure. Best of luck for the game. Thank you very much. Cheers. Mickey Dimitri there. Um, yeah, what a what a great man and a great talker as well. I always, every time we do these interviews, I always find myself rooting for whoever we've spoken to. Um, but that can't be the case here. Got to stay impartial, Ali. And I must say, the team you're going to talk about now, Morecambe, also have a little bit of a soft spot for as well. There'll be a big grin on our faces, I think, regardless of who wins this game, because Newport are a magnificent story. Morecambe, just as good, if not better. I mean, these two sides finished 21st and 22nd in the League Two league table just five seasons ago, and that shows where they've been since. Newport, of course, were in the playoffs only two seasons ago. So for Morecambe, this is uncharted territory. Their highest finish in the highest league they've ever been in, and they were so good for it, weren't they? I must admit, last week on this very show, I compared Morecambe to Atletico Madrid, Derek Adams with Diego Simeone. And the more I think about it, the more it stacks up. And I'm 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 delighted, George, because you came out with Adam Phillips as the League Two Bruno Fernandez in the first half of the season. And that was an annoyingly good, you know, elite player versus League Two player comparison. I think <laughs> I found the right one here. Derek Adams and Morecambe, Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid Ooh. taking a club that were a bit 
I mean, Atletico Madrid in Spain had become a bit of a laughing stock with their inability to win things and their inability to reach the elite. Morecambe, I don't think it'd be fair to say, have been a laughing stock, but constantly put down, constantly underestimated, constantly tipped for relegation and never getting relegated over the last decade or so. And both of these managers raised the whole profile of the club uh, and have done so pretty convincingly. Now, um, the other side of that was tactical because Morecambe, out of possession, remind me a lot of Simeone's classic Atletico Madrid side in that they are exceptionally compact. They are so well drilled. They are so confident without having the football in a way that I haven't seen many League Two clubs. And it's such an incredible strength of theirs because if you look at the semi-final against Tranmere, Tramir uh, ended up scoring one goal in the second leg from a set piece. Another goal, which was a sort of second phase of a set piece, crossing from the left and headed in. But in a game where Tramir had the ball for 75% of 180 minutes of football, Morecambe, for the most part, looked so, so comfortable with that. And, you know, I think the onus is going to be on Newport to break them down. And we know that Morecambe tend to lick their lips on the counter-attack. It's true that they weren't that good on the break in the semi-final, but I don't think that necessarily means that they won't get it right this time. That The goal in the second leg was classic Morecambe, and I think it's the sort of thing we could see on Monday. It was Cole Stockton, their target man, winning a flick on, having peeled out wide, stuck himself on the fullback where he had the aerial advantage, flicked it inside. The ball came to McAlinden, who had tucked inside off the right flank. He beat his man and played a through ball to Wildig, who's the advanced midfield player, who's all about arriving late into the box and finishing well. And that really summed them up. They they don't have a lot of the ball, and you might be tricked into thinking that they're not comfortable, that they're not you know, controlling the game and then they sting like a bee having defended like a million butterflies. Uh, that that one doesn't really hold up. Anyway, <laughs> we'll go back to Diego Simeone. He's been very, very popular in Madrid having just won the La Liga title for Atletico Madrid. And I think that Derek Adams will be the same with Morecambe. I think they will just edge what should be a very, very close game because I think you can rely on Good defensive structure from both sides. I can't pick them in terms of, you know, squad makeup, talent, experience. They're basically neck and neck. But I just think Morecambe have that extra edge going forward. Uh, and I think that could be the difference here. The one thing they have to do is avoid red cards because you reference those two regular season games, Newport winning both of them. Well, Morecambe had a man sent off in both games. So we're yet to find out what happens when these two teams play each other with their full complement of players uh, on the pitch. It's going to be a magnificent game. I, my appetite is whetted after your interview with Mickey Dimitru, It is wetted after talking about Derek Adams and Diego Simeone, uh, and I cannot wait for it. Those were your playoff final previews. But before we wrap up, just some quick EFL news bits to keep you across. Rob Edwards has been announced as Forest Green Rovers boss for next season, moving on from his England under-16s role. Another League Two Rob, Rob Kelly, Barrow's caretaker manager extraordinaire has left. Didn't fancy the job permanently. It's expected that Barrow will appoint former Forest Green manager Mark Cooper, but that is yet to be fully confirmed. Yeah, some more League Two managerial news. Swindon Town have appointed former Colchester boss John McGreal as their new manager. McGreal, of course, led Colchester to the playoffs last season before making way in the summer, which didn't look too good in the end for Colchester. Swindon have got a new man in now. 
And moves are already being made across the three leagues in the transfer market. Sadly, the headline news on this front is an outgoing EFL player. But what a story. Omar Richards leaves Reading for Bayern Munich. He has signed a three-year deal and will be a Bayern Munich player next season. What an amazing story that is. But that's a wrap on this season for us. Thank you so much for joining us throughout this remarkable campaign. Matt, of course, and the gang will be back one last time on Tuesday. They'll be going through the highs and lows of the finals. Ecstasy 2, Agony 1, as it may be. The last pieces of next season's puzzle will be being put into place at Wembley this weekend. Enjoy those games. Keep it athletic for all things Euro 2020. And rest up, ready for the new campaign. For now, from George and myself, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Cliché Show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time The Athletic